Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we uh, thank you so much for the, the opportunity to come forward and enjoy your word together, Lord. And we pray that it would be a joy to us, Lord. Um, you, in the Sermon on the Mount, through your son, spoke some very difficult things, Lord, but we know that they're all good for our soul. And help us to rejoice, Lord, in your word. May these words be transforming, Lord. None of us have the power to work a transformation in anyone else's life. We can't change anyone, Lord, but you can. You can change people on the spot. And so we pray that you would come and help all of us, Lord, to live free in this area. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, uh, it's, it's been... Um, an awesome time going through it. And we're calling it Students of Jesus because we believe that Jesus has called us to be his students, called us to be his disciples, and he wants to actually teach us how to do all the things he's commanded in this section. And so even the really hard parts, even the parts that don't really fit us, we can learn to do by the power of the Spirit. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he has brought up all kinds of uncomfortable things. Have any of you been uncomfortable studying the Sermon on the Mount? Um, He digs into things like uh, anger and lust He digs into all kinds of areas that nobody else would call us out on, and Jesus does. He goes, let's talk about that anger. Let's talk about that lust. Let's talk about lies. Let's let's talk about how you could forgive others. Let's talk about how you could love your enemies, how you could turn the other cheek. And Jesus, this morning, true to form, is going to go after another area that's uncomfortable for us. He wants to expose and address our view of money. And some people have calculated that 15% of the things that Jesus talked about were in relation to money and possessions. Even more than he talked about prayer or talked about heaven or all kinds of other things, he talked about money. One author said that Jesus warned people more often about greed than sexual sin, and yet almost none of us think that we are guilty of greed. Isn't that interesting? This is an area that I think he felt he needed to deal with over and over again because it's a key um, spiritual indicator in us. And it's an area, guys, that we're guarded about. I mean, our guards go up right away. And um, and I think one of the main defenses, one of the main defenses I've ever had in a church is start talking about money and giving and stuff like that is like, oh, yeah, this guy wants my money. This church wants my money. And I just want to assure you guys that that, that that's not the case. And I know for some of you, you know, maybe this is the first time that you've, you've been inviting this friend and you wanted this friend to come for a really long time and they finally agreed to come and you sit down and then the pastor says, we're going to talk about money and giving. And you're like, no, you know, like you're like, and he whispered to him, it's not normally like this, you know, that kind of a thing. Guys, let me assure you that I have no ulterior motives. Um, This is just where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. And the other thing is, is that I personally do not want your money. Okay, just so you know, I don't want your money. And I'm not even here to raise money for the church. We have no building project. We have no huge pressing need. You guys are already very generous. I'm not, you know, trying to get your money from you. I don't make my living doing this. I make my living working with horses. So, um, you know, I've got no vested interest in this. The vested interest I do have in this, though, guys, is I want all of our hearts to be free from the love of money. Scripture talks about it time and time again. And just like when we went through the passage on lust and we talked about pornography and all these things, and I I so desperately wanted us all to be free in that area, I want us to be free in this area too. So that's what it's about, guys. I mean, so I hope that that helps to kind of put your guard down. So when I'm talking about this a little later and I mention giving and stuff like that and your guard goes back up, oh, he's trying to get my money. Remember, I don't want your money. We already took the offering. You notice how subtly we take it too? It's like, here's the offering, you know? And so that's not what it's about. And when I talk about giving this morning, also to help your guard come down, I'm going to call it kingdom giving. 
And by that, I don't mean just giving to the church. I mean giving our money to anything that helps people come to know Christ. And so in your bulletin, I put a couple of ministries um, back here. Uh, actually, Melissa did this. Um, Girls House of Refuge, and there's a contact there. And, um, oh, no, at the very bottom, excellent places to give. Girls House of Refuge, uh, Children's Hunger Fund. Those are two ministries that we're um, about. Um, the one, the Grace, um, sorry, the Girls House of Refuge is where Holly is in Cambodia, rescuing women out of sex trafficking, giving them job training, discipling them. A lot of people come into Christ through that, so that'd be a great place for you to give. And then I really like, we personally like Children's Hunger Fund a lot. It's a way of uh, combating poverty, but it's all done through local churches. So if like in Haiti, they're going to bring a bunch of food or something, they're going to distribute that through the local church. And so it's a way of connecting your compassion ministry with the gospel. So those would be two ways you can give. And so I hope that removes an obstacle for you um, because um, what we really want is we want to be free from slavery to the love of money. And then I would just say, give wherever the Lord leads. doesn't affect me. Okay? The other thing I want to say before we start is I am honestly not an expert in this area. There are many of you guys that are far better at applying this than I am. I know you guys, and I know there's a lot of you that are far better at kingdom giving than I am. I'm coming to you guys as a fellow student who has read and studied this week what, God, what Christ says about money, and I think it's really great, and I think it's really freeing, and I want to share that with you. So don't feel like I'm coming to you from a, a standpoint of being an expert. With that said, let's look at the command that's here. Verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay out for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay out for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is telling us here, guys, that, that not to accumulate money and possessions for ourselves on earth. Now, of course, we're going to need some to live on. We're going to need some to take care of the people that we're called to take care of. We're going to need some to save. But the rest, Jesus would have us put in to kingdom purposes. And you might ask, well, how much? I think that would be easier if there was a number. The, the New Testament does not tell us how much to give. Under the Old Covenant, which is not the covenant we're under, it says to give more than 10%. There's the 10% part, and then there's all these other offerings. It adds up to quite a bit. But in the New Testament, it gives us no percentage. And so it leaves us to deal with our hearts in this area and come up with an amount. How do we come up with an amount? I think this passage helps. I think that if we really understand Jesus' perspective on money and possessions and giving, then our hearts will be free to make all the right decisions on it. So I think that's what it's about. It's about having clarity on this issue, and then pray, and then God will lead you to give. Where to give, how much to give, all those things. But he doesn't give us a percentage. Would you guys rather a percentage? I kind of would. You know, you just have a percentage. But I don't think he wants to leave us in a situation, too, where we're always kind of vaguely guilty we're not giving enough. I think let's have our sights clear on money, and then let's give, and then let's rejoice in what God's doing through it. But don't assume that you already know what Jesus' perspective on money is. Even if you're a longtime disciple, don't assume that you already see the way he sees. His way of looking at money is dramatically different than anything we would have ever thought. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine tomorrow you're going to meet up with two different friends uh, throughout the day. First one you meet up as a friend of yours is an older woman. Um, she's kind of barely getting by on Social Security. She often needs assistance from the deacons to pay her bills. And, um, and she starts talking to you about how moved she is when she found out what Holly's doing in Cambodia. She's excited about it. And she says, you know, I, I want to give $50 to this ministry. And knowing her really well and stuff like that, you go, well, how much do you have in your account? And she goes, I have $50. You're like, ah. And so you talk her out of it. 
You tell her, nah, don't give 50. Why don't you give 10? That would still be a lot. And there's other people in the church that can make up that 40. Let's not, you know, give it all away, right? You assure her that it'll be fine. Second friend. Second friend's a middle-aged guy, real go-getter, real involved in the church, always involved in the activities of the church. And, and he tells you his business is going really well. It's blowing up. He plans on expanding. In a few years, he's hoping to sell it all off, retire, and basically just like ski and golf for the rest of the decades he has. And so you tell him, you know what? I'm happy for you. That's great. You know, you've worked really hard. You deserve it. The problem is, is that the first woman you talked to was the widow and the widow's mite story, right? When Jesus saw the widow giving her last cent, and he commended her for that. And the second one was the rich fool from Jesus' parable, the rich fool. We gave exactly the wrong advice to both of them. Our thinking on giving in, in money and stuff like that is so reversed from the way Jesus thinks, isn't it? It's our culture. Our culture has seeped into us. And so when we, when we think about money and stuff, it's, it's something that we desperately need teaching on. Another thing to think about with this before we start is that Jesus' thinking about money is so foreign and so opposite of the way we think that sometimes we'll read things that Jesus says and we'll go, this is impossible. You ever feel like that? The Sermon on the Mount, it's really easy to come to something and go, this is impossible, I could never live this. And yet Jesus said that his teaching, he said, take my yoke upon, upon you and learn from me, and the yoke means his teaching, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and your souls will find rest in his teaching. For my yoke, his teaching is easy and his burden is light. So how does the yoke, how is the yoke made easy and how is his teaching made light to us? And the way it is made light and easy is by heart change, right? So as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, we actually begin to see the things Jesus commanded, not as a burden, but as a delight. And so that's what I've been praying for myself all week and that's what I've been praying for you as well. This passage, guys, does that. He, he reasons with us on three different levels um, and reasons with our hearts and he gives us reasons for why we should want to maximize our kingdom giving. Notice I use the word kingdom giving again. And he does it through three pairs. There's three pairs here. First, there's two treasures. Then there's two types of eyes. Then there's two potential masters. Okay, so we'll go two treasures, two eyes, two types of eyes, and two masters. First one, two types of treasure. Look at verse 19. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. He's saying here, guys, that kingdom giving is a far wiser investment than earthly possessions. Notice that he doesn't just say, don't store up treasure for yourself. The issue is not storing stuff up for yourself. The issue is what kind you store up. Are we going to store up earthly treasure or are we going to store up treasure in heaven? There's two types of treasure, and the one on earth is a really bad investment. That's what he's going to tell us right here. It's a really bad investment. Why is it a bad investment? Well, it depreciates. Look at verse 19. It says that moth and rust destroy. Guys, earthly possessions can decay and lose value over time. We know this. Have you guys ever been digging around and you're like, you probably all have a junk drawer in the kitchen. You ever been digging around in there and you come across your cell phone from 10 years ago? It's like the saddest thing, right? You look at it and I came across, one time I was digging around, I came across my old Motorola Razor, right? Which was an awesome phone at the time. I mean, this was highly prized. You get into a long contract to get this thing. And so I looked at it, I'm like, oh, buddy, what happened to you? You're like, you used to be amazing. I remember when I peeled that, that layer off you when you were brand new, you know, and, and had you, and I would kind of lay you out so people could see. And I'm like, what happened to you? You know, that's what happens. It, our earthly treasures, guys, they don't age well. A lot of times we should think about before that big purchase, what's this thing going to look like in 10 or 15 years? Especially with electronics. 
we'll almost sell our soul for new electronics, right? And in 10 years, I mean, that thing's like, you can sell that at a garage sale. You know, he's sad. I have a burial for him, but it's, you're not supposed to bury that kind of stuff. We talked about that. Um, it can be lost. Look at verse 19. He says, thieves can break in and steal. I mean, just the fact of how much insurance we buy shows, guys, that money and possessions are in constant risk. I was thinking through all the insurance I have. You sell insurance? So, is, um, I have homeowner's insurance. I have health insurance. I'm a horse vet, so I have disability insurance. That's important. Um, car insurance. I have insurance on my equipment for work. I have malpractice insurance. I probably have other insurance I don't even know about. Why do we have that? Because we know, guys, that possessions and wealth are fleeting, and we can lose them. Thieves can break in and steal. I mean, we're vulnerable. All of our earthly stuff is vulnerable. Proverbs 23.4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light upon it, upon earthly wealth, it's gone. For it suddenly sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle to heavens. It's like, you're like, oh, wait, you know? It disappears. Um, and even if you don't lose it in this life, and even if it doesn't decay and look as pathetic as my old Motorola razor, if anybody wants one, I have one. Um, the other thing to realize is we lose it all in the end. We lose it all in the end. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll return. Pretty, pretty graphic there, right? Uh, Paul said, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Isn't it amazing, guys, that knowing that we brought nothing in and we can take nothing out, that we stress about the in-between? Why on earth would we stress about the in-between if we know that in the end we have to leave it all behind anyway? You know, um, uh, John Rockefeller, who was one of the richest men who had ever lived, um, after he died, someone asked his accountant, they said, so how much did Rockefeller leave behind? And the accountant said, all of it. Right? He was looking for a dollar amount. He's like, he left all of it. Right? And we will too. But guys, this is cool. The good news is, is that earthly treasures, though they don't last, the earthly treasures can be converted into treasures that will last forever. So you can take an earthly treasure, you can invest it in a kingdom purpose, and, you, and it'll, you'll have it forever. It'll last forever. Notice Jesus doesn't say, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in general. He, he says where to lay them up. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. The ironic thing, guys, is that every treasure that we keep as an earthly treasure, you will lose. And everything that you lose, everything you give away, you keep. It's exactly the opposite of the way we think. The missionary and martyr Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot get, keep to gain what he can't lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And when the kingdom comes, guys, when, when um, Revelation 21 and 22 talk about heaven descending, when the kingdom comes down to earth and brings Christ and brings all those who have come to trust in him, all the treasure you've sent on ahead will return too. And so we ask, you have to ask yourself, like, what's the treasure? You know, you could be thinking, like, it's, you know, money for there. You know, you've got, like, Bitcoin in heaven or something like that. Or what is it, you know? I'll tell you one thing the treasure isn't. It isn't salvation. It isn't as if somehow by giving or by doing good deeds that somehow you can earn salvation. Uh, all other religions teach that. Christianity teaches that salvation is completely a free gift by faith in Christ. It's Jesus alone that gets us there. It's not by any of our good deeds. But, the, but Jesus teaches over and over again, and Paul does too, and sometimes it's kind of concerning to us, that the things that we do in this life do affect how we will enjoy the world to come. 
And so Christ gets us in, but somehow there's a difference in the enjoyment of that place. There's, a, there's a rewards there. There's um, treasure there um, by how we actually live for Christ. And um, Josh talked about it a couple weeks ago. Um, some say perhaps it's like um, maybe you have an increased capacity to enjoy the glory of God. And, you know, he gave this example of like all of us will be filled completely with joy that's ever-increasing joy, but we'll have different sized containers based on what we did in this life. Some people put forward that idea. Jesus certainly talked about us having kind of increased roles in ruling over cities and stuff. It's kind of hard to understand that, but authority and and increased roles in the kingdom. But let me give you one you can totally wrap your head around. All those are true, but let me give you one you can totally wrap your head around. What are the treasures in heaven? They're people. They're people. Take a look at Luke 6, 9. Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth so that when it fails, you may be received into eternal dwellings. The idea there is this really exciting idea that our earthly treasure can be exchanged into heavenly treasure when we use our earthly treasure somehow to help people come to Christ. And so as people come to Christ through the kingdom giving that we've done, Luke 16 talks about that it creates for you a greeting party. It creates for you a greeting party of people who came to know Christ through your kingdom giving. Can you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine what that's like? I mean, you guys were super generous on giving to Holly's ministry a couple weeks ago. Like, in this room, it was like $3,700. It was crazy, and it was wonderful, and it turned out it was exactly what she needed. You know those stories? Like, it really was one of those where she was like, we needed this, you know? It was awesome. But imagine, you know, through that giving, that when the kingdom comes, you're greeted by Cambodians that you've never met before that say, you know what, the Lord actually used some of your giving to to bring Christ to me. I wouldn't be able to go into Holly's house without that. That's what this is talking about. You get to meet, guys, the eternal beneficiaries of your kingdom giving. Imagine what kind of relationship that will create in the new world, you know? What a great starting point of a relationship that we could celebrate with God what he did to save them, knowing that he used us as a way to connect them to Christ. And we're going to be amazed, guys, by how he's been used as small sacrifices of ours for the gospel for eternal transformation. We're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed by even just your little words of witness here and there and what God had used to bring people to himself. And the return on investment, guys, is going to be ridiculous. You're you're not going to believe it. Um, in, in Matthew 19, Jesus says the return on investment is a hundredfold. And it's just an example he gave. He said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Hundredfold. That's not a hundred percent return. That's 10,000 percent return. If you have a hundredfold return, it's 10,000 percent. Imagine, have you guys ever thought about like, man, I wish, wish I would have invested in Apple when the stock first came out. Have you ever thought that before? Or, or Amazon. We were using Amazon like we should have, you know, invested in that or any of these kind of things. You guys know, if you were lucky enough to invest in Apple in its initial public offering and then sold it at, in, in 2012 when it was at its highest, you would have gotten a 2,300% return. Jesus is talking about a 10,000% return and it's not money or anything like that. It's, it's human beings. It's, it's people coming to Christ. It's his glory that is the return. It's amazing. And so I love this because Jesus doesn't motivate you to give by making you feel bad. It isn't like, oh, you know, you're not giving. You're kind of a, what kind of Christian are you? You know, you, oh, you call yourself a Christian and you don't do this. He doesn't do any of that. You know what he does? He goes, hey, buddy, you're making a lot of really bad investments. Doesn't he? Jesus comes to us. He says, you're making a lot of really bad investments. Let me show you where you could take that, that earthly treasure and turn it into heavenly treasure. 
Um, I think this would be a great time for all of us to just look at what our kingdom investment looks like. I mean, tax time's kind of that time. You, you know, some of, not all your kingdom giving is, shows up as a, you know, something on your taxes, but it is a good time to give yourself kind of an idea of what's going on. This would be a great time for couples and singles and stuff. Look over the numbers. Set some goals for next year. Identify some kingdom causes, you know? Are there some things that the Lord's put on your heart? Kingdom causes. Maybe you thought, like, I need to be more involved in fighting global poverty. Look for a ministry that does that in the name of Christ and shares the gospel. Um, Maybe you're thinking, like, I heard about unreached people groups. I should adopt one. You know, there's a a group that I should go for and and see that the gospel goes to this new area. Um, Maybe it's the issue of sex trafficking, like what Holly's dealing with in Cambodia, um, that you want to get involved in. Maybe it's a pro-life ministry. You think, man, you know, every time, you know, Roe v. Wade, Sunday comes around, I kind of think through that, and, but I want to give on a regular basis, or maybe it's refugee relief. You know, you guys realize that we are in, right now, the worst refugee crisis in history that we're aware of, and this would be something, this would be a time for God's people to act. I mean, you can invest in that, and then imagine next year, as you're looking through your stuff, to just be able to see and just rejoice with God in the way he got your family to invest in these ways. I mean, investors watch their 401ks, right, with great interest. We should watch these things. Financial planners tell us that we should think about not just today and what we're going to spend today, but we should be thinking about 30 and 40 years from now. Jesus is saying, think about what your investments will become in 30 to 40 billion years from now. He's like, 30 to 40 years from now, that's not what we want to think about. Think about what your kingdom investment is going to do 30 and 40 billion years from now. And that's not just your money, but your time and your prayer and, and the way you invest your life. I mean, Jesus brings up money because it's a key indicator of where we invest our lives, right? This is really cool. In, in, in a couple of weeks, um, you know, Tim will start that class. That'll really help us kind of manage our finances so we can do more of this. Um, do you guys, uh, you guys ever heard of Confederate money? Has ever heard of this before? So during um, the Civil War, the South made their own money, right? And um, they made their own money, and it's really cool. This is a real one. I'll pass it around. Actually, I'm not afraid of this. I'll tell you why. Actually, here we go. When it gets back there, pass it over there. It's really interesting. Um, but they had their own money, Confederate money. And, um, and so they're, while they're going through the war, the Union had theirs. And these were called graybacks, and then the, the North had greenbacks. And, um, and, and what happened was, as soon as the war was over, very close to the time the war was over, that became like, absolutely worthless. And that's why I pass it around, like, not in a case, even though it's from, like, 1864. is because I got that, it's a $10 bill, I got it for less than $10, still. I mean, like, I don't know if that's, like, retribution, like, we're still like, hey, take that, you know, kind of a thing. But imagine what you'd do, guys, if you lived in the South and you had big piles of that cash. You live in the South, you've got big piles of that cash, and you know for a fact that the North is going to lose. What do you do with it? You convert as much of it as you can into union money, Right? As much as you can and still live, right? So you got to figure out, like, how much of this do I need to live on? How much of this do I need to, like, um, to, to do God's mission in my own area, you know, and, and to take care of the people I need to take care of? And then you wouldn't hold on to any extra, right? You take all the rest, you convert it into union money. Well, I'll tell you guys, when Jesus' kingdom comes and takes over this land, the currency of this world will be instantly useless. It'll be just like that. I mean, you can't take that to the store and spend it. They look at you crazy. Right? When, when the kingdom comes fully, um, it, will, um, it will be completely useless. And you don't want to be holding on to a lot of it. I mean, it'll look like holding on to a whole bunch of Monopoly money, you know? You're going to be like, uh, this is awkward. What do I do with this? You just, people were like wallpapering rooms with it in the South. I mean, they just, there was no purpose to it anymore. Or as Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth. 
Doesn't it make a lot more sense now? You know, when you really unpack what Jesus said here, it makes a lot more sense. Do you know that feeling when, when all of a sudden you go, you know what, Jesus' words make sense. Like that's, that resonates with me. You know what that is? It's heart change. You're feeling heart change. Isn't it awesome? I love how God's word does that. Okay, so two types of treasure, now two types of eyes. This will be faster. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light is darkness, I wanted Jim to read it this way. How great is the darkness? And he kind of did. He did a little deeper. That was good. Um, he's saying here that kingdom giving is heart healthy. And Jesus illustrates this by talking about two different types of eyes. And when you first look at it, you might think, okay, verse 21, he's talking about a heart. And then verse 22, he's talking about eyes. You might think he's like changing, you know, the subject or something. Eyes and heart are used the same way in, in ancient times and in scripture. And it kind of makes sense when you think about it. They, they're, they're synonyms. If you think about the way the eye works, the way the eye works is light bounce. You don't actually see things. You just see light that's bouncing off of things. So light bounces off of things. It goes in through the, the cornea of your eye. Then it goes through the lens and it hits the retina in the back, the photoreceptors. And then you've got a nerve that comes back that takes those signals back to your brain. And so what you're able to do when light comes in is take in that information and perceive your world and then direct the course of your body or whatever you're going to do, right? Biblically, the heart is the center of who you are as a person. And it's the place where we perceive and decide and give direction to our lives. So they're very similar in that way. And we actually talk this way in our own culture, don't we? We say things like, you know, I have my heart set on getting a new truck. Or we might say, I've got my eye on a new truck. Right? We do the same thing where we equate eye with, um, with heart. And so in your Bible, you could put a circle around the word heart there in verse 21 and draw a line down to verse 22 where it says eye. They're, they're the same way of saying the same thing. And so when Jesus says... If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What he's saying is, is that the heart, the eye that's set on material possessions, is unhealthy in a dark heart. And so just like in your eye where you might get a cataract on your lens, right? So the light that comes back to your retina is reduced and you've got this kind of dark, kind of cloudy, blurry vision. The love of money clouds our perception so that we don't see what's truly valuable. Our whole life gets darkened. And we see examples of that. You know, you see examples of that in literature. I mean, a real famous one would be Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, right? You see Scrooge. His love of money had changed his whole perception of life, and it didn't just mess him up financially. It messed up every single part of his life. Jesus saying money does that. We see in our own lives where a parent, maybe, and a spouse works longer and longer hours to eventually come home, and there's nobody there. You know, or um, a person whose addictive spending creates so much disunity and stress in their family that eventually it breaks up their marriage. And we see those kinds of things. Um, Jesus is saying that our possessions have a, a gravitational effect on our hearts. You see where he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. There's this gravitational pull of possessions and money on our hearts. And we know, guys, that gravity increases proportionally to mass, Right? We'll do that right now, right? So the sun, which is gigantic, has a, a ton of gravitational pull, right? Mercury has a lot less. Earth has something in between, right? It's, it's the size of the object that increases the gravity. Works the same way with your possessions. The more possessions we have on earth, the more our, her, our heart is gravitationally pulled to this place and the less it's pulled towards heaven. It's a gravitational pull. But here's the cool thing, guys. We can exploit that. 
Okay? We can exploit that by taking whatever treasure we have and putting it somewhere we want our heart to be directed. Okay? So you can take earthly treasures, turn them into heavenly treasures, and suddenly you're desiring heaven, not earth again. Right? So, for example, if you want to have more of a heart for missions, give to a particular missionary and you'll be surprised how much your heart is drawn to that. You can, you can use that fact that your heart's drawn to your riches. Put it in that missionary's hands and see how your heart is drawn to what they're doing there. And you pray more about that and you have more interest in that. And, um, if you want to have more of a heart and ownership of the church, you know, give to that and see the ownership grow. If you want to care more about the poor, you know, give to something like Children's Hunger Fund. And you'll find that more and more you're praying about that cause and you're drawn to that cause. You want to care more about fighting injustice in the world. You know? I think here we're very insulated, right? We live in this valley. Things are good. It's kind of the Disneyland of the world, right? And, um, and we don't feel what's going on in the rest of the world. But if we were to give to something like Holly's ministry or something, you find your heart's drawn to Cambodia all of a sudden. You know? You're praying for that. Why? Wherever your treasure is, your heart will go also. Isn't that cool? It's kind of a cool feature of your heart. I mean, it can be a bad thing or a good thing. You can use it. You want to long more for heaven? You know, give in such a way that you store treasure in heaven, your heart will be drawn there. It's like the needle on a compass, right? The needle on a compass always points to north. Wherever your possessions go, your heart goes. It's a, it's a great feature, actually, if, if we use it correctly. So if we want to be free from bondage to money and possessions, we give it away. Kingdom giving breaks down slavery to material things. Jesus is talking about that accumulation, guys, is heart toxic, and kingdom giving is heart healthy. I love what uh, Hudson Taylor said. He's a missionary to China in the 1800s. He said, my experience was that the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of my happiness and blessing did my soul become. Kingdom giving is heart healthy. So we got two treasures, two eyes, and then this one's quick. Two types of masters. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That word money there is the word mammon, and it can mean either money or possessions. It can mean any one. And later on, it came to kind of have a sense that it was almost like a false god. You know, like worshiping mammon. is wealth, it's, it's money, it's possessions. Because to us in this area, we're big spenders kind of in general in this valley. We're not so much stockpiling money and kind of drooling over it like, uh, like the, the Donald Duck Scrooge guy was swimming in the gold. Like we're not that kind. We, we care more about the stuff, right? We want the stuff more. And so mammon is either. And what he's saying, Jesus is saying here, is that every one of us was born with a throne in the center of our hearts. Is realize that? You were born with a throne in your heart. And someone or something is going to sit on that throne, but it won't be you. Okay? Someone or something is going to sit on the throne of your heart, but it won't be you. And that throne in your heart must be filled. Your master on that throne will either be Jesus or money or something else, but it won't be you. That throne in your heart can only have one, uh, one person occupying it. And we can see that there. You'll either be devoted to the one and despise the other, right? There's no way you can have two sitting on the throne in your heart. And that makes sense because if you're an employee, you can have two employers. That's not a problem. If you're a slave, you can only have one master, right? And that's what we're seeing here. You can only have one person sitting on that throne or one thing sitting on that throne. And if you choose mammon, guys, just know that mammon is a brutal master. He's brutal. You're going to pick a master for yourself. You're going to be the slave of something. Mammon's brutal. And you guys know that. You know that when you're a kid, you don't really feel the pull of mammon, Right? You know, maybe you wanted some things some other kid had, but it's pretty light, right? A little bit later, you maybe move out of the house, you move in with some friends, and you feel the pull a little bit more of this. Some, you know, you want bigger toys, stuff like that. 
And then you get married, right? And then you feel the, feel the pull of mammon big time, right? As the pressure increases, there's a certain kind of place you should live in. You should have a certain kind of car. You should have a certain kind of fun and recreation and entertainment and things that you do. And then you have kids, and you feel the pull more. You're expected to have an upgraded version of where you live and what you drive and all the things that you do, right? Mammon gets more and more control. And then as you get older, you start to get in middle age years, you start about thinking about retirement. And you hear experts saying things like, you should have enough money to live for like 30 years on a perpetual vacation. And you think, I have no idea how I would save enough money to live on vacation for 30 years, right? Guys, you look down and suddenly you're on a hamster wheel, right? You've seen the little hamsters, you know, you go to PetSmart or something, you watch the little hamsters on the wheel, running, running, running on the wheel. That's mammon. That's what mammon feels like. And, it, and you're pulled forward by advertising and comparing yourself to others, and you run faster and you run faster and you run faster on the wheel until you die. And another hamster pushes your carcass off and gets on the wheel and starts running on the wheel. That's the way it works, generation after generation. Probably be your kids because you taught them how to run on the wheel. Ecclesiastes says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. It's all hamster wheel. And guys, that's what it's like when mammon is on the throne of your heart. But the good news, guys, good news is this, is that Jesus is a totally different kind of master. He's a totally different kind of master. Jesus is the master who gives his servants rest. Jesus is the kind of master who did the work for his servants. Religion, guys, will offer you a different hamster wheel. I don't know if you realize that. All other religions will offer you a different kind of hamster wheel. It'll be a hamster wheel of works, and the goal will be salvation, and you'll never know if you're doing enough, and you'll run, 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 and you always kind of feel like there's something more. That's religion. Jesus offers something totally different. Jesus offers his, his, his people rest. He came and did all the work that was required to save us. He did everything necessary so that you could feel the joy and meaning and peace that you've tried to find in everything else. You could have that now and so much more in the future. He's done it all. Not, you're giving not any kind of good deeds or anything like that would earn it. Jesus has done it all. And Jesus is the, Jesus really, he's the ultimate kingdom giver, isn't he? Talking about kingdom giving, Jesus is the ultimate kingdom giver. In Hebrews 12, it says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross, guys, for the joy set before him, for treasure in heaven. Jesus endured the cross, despising his shame. Super shameful, guys. Super shameful for a person, especially a Jewish man like himself, to hang there naked, nailed to a piece of wood, while people come by and throw all kinds of insults at him and, and say all kinds of evil things about him. Totally shameful to die that way. And he did it, guys. He did it for the joy set before him that he could one day offer to us the kingdom at no charge. That he could one day be our welcoming party as we enter the kingdom. He's the one. We are the eternal beneficiaries of his sacrifice. And what a relationship that starts, right? He lived a perfect life in your place. There's no wheel for you to run on. If you feel like, guys, if you feel like following Jesus is a hamster wheel, if you think, then let's talk about that. Because Jesus didn't come to do that. He did all the works in your place. He lives a perfect life in your place, and he died to pay for all of your sins, to give you rest. I mean, today is our day of Sabbath rest, right? We come, and we get our souls at rest, and then we put our bodies, we have our bodies at rest. And that's what communion's about this morning, guys. So during the last song, if you um, are following Jesus,
come and pick up this bread. It's gluten-free, so you don't need to worry about that. And pick up the cup. The bread symbolizes his body broken for you. The, the juice symbolizes his blood. It's a time for us to remember the sacrifice that he's done, that he did all the work for us, that there's no wheel to get on, that it's done. And if, and if you're not sure yet that you have come to Christ, please talk to me, talk to somebody here. If you talk to somebody here and they're not sure what to say, both of you guys come and talk to me, you know, and let's do that. But um, if you have questions, let's talk, because I want you guys to be sure as you leave here, absolutely sure that you have the Prince of Peace reigning on your heart. That it can give you real rest and meaning and joy. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus is the only master who serves his servants. That doesn't happen anywhere else. We thank you, Lord, that he gives us real rest. And so I pray for these people here who love you, who have a deep desire to follow you, Lord. I pray that you continue to change our hearts in this area. And even more, I pray that you would awaken us more and more to the wonder of what your son has done for us, Lord. You are the ultimate giver in the universe. You gave your son. Your son gave his life. Spirit came and gave us life inside to trust in him. We are so thankful, Lord. As we worship here, Lord, we pray that it would be something that would be immense gratitude and thanksgiving for the kind of God that you are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.